Well, last week we had a great experience. My friend Malcolm was here uh, from Australia, and I felt like God gave him a specific message that was really great for us as a church to hear. And many of you I know were blessed through that message. And what Malcolm was sharing with us from God's Word is that the God that we serve is a God of all grace. And that God has come to give us grace, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That what the world needs is not a judge, what the world needs is a doctor. Uh, It's not the righteous who needs salvation, it's the sick. And God has come not to call those who live upright moral lives to himself, but to call those who are far away from him, to embrace them and to bring them back to himself. It's a great and powerful reminder from the Lord himself to us. But Malcolm's sermon last week raises a question, an important question. We are supposed to be agents of grace. We're supposed to be people who go out into the world and exude grace. But that raises the question, how do we become such a people? How do we become those kind of people who, like Jesus, love sinners and loathe legalism? How do we become those kind of people that when we're in a room with those who seem to be completely against God, we're there loving and serving and enjoying being with them? How do we become that kind of people or that kind of person? Well, as God would have it, I had no idea what Malcolm was going to uh, preach on. As God would have it, we've been planning a sermon for this week that actually answers that question. Again, only God can plan these things. And actually what we're going to do is there's a two-part answer to that question. How do we become people who exude grace? The first part is this week. The next, second part is next week. But this morning we have the opportunity from God's Word, which apparently God had planned long before I did, to be able to talk together this morning about how we become a people who exude grace. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2, if you'd like to follow along in one of the church Bibles, there's one in the rack in front of you. It's page 981. 981, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. First Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When you first hear this passage read, or when you first read this passage, it can feel a bit overwhelming. There's a lot of material here. Let me tell you up front that Peter's main point, the emphasis that he wants to communicate to us this morning, is in verses 4 and 5. The rest of the section, verses 6 through 10, are quotations from Scripture meant to bolster the main point. So as to not allow the entire passage to overwhelm us, we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5, which is where Peter is trying to communicate his message to us. And what he says is, as you come to him. Now, the opening phrase there is a reference to what we talked about three weeks ago, to verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And in those verses, we learned that the way that we as believers grow up in our salvation is we become addicted to God that we crave experiences of God's presence. And as we experience God in our lives, we begin to grow, grow into the people that he wants us to be, that we don't have to be the same people we once were, that God is transforming us and changing us. But Peter's point is, is that not only is that happening to you and I as individuals, something is happening collectively to us as a church that's what he's talking about here. He says, you also, meaning us as a church, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, how do I know he's talking about us as a church and not just sort of all Christians everywhere? Well, the you is plural and a spiritual house is singular. You, plural, are being built into a spiritual house, singular. This is a telltale sign in the Scriptures that God is talking about the church, that He's talking about us here, that collectively God is not only doing something in each of our lives individually, He's doing something amongst us collectively as the church. And when I mean church, I mean Calvary Church. Not just all Christians everywhere. If Peter was referring to all Christians everywhere, he would have said, now we are being built into a spiritual house. He's not referring to all Christians everywhere. He's talking to you and I as a church, as Calvary Church, and he's saying to us, you are being built into a spiritual house to be the priests of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that collectively Calvary Church is becoming a spiritual house? Well, in order to answer this question, the answer to it comes from the Old Testament. We know that because verses 6 through 10, the verses that we're not really focusing on this morning, in those five verses are five quotations from the Old Testament. As far as I'm aware, this is the only time in Scripture that this happens. Five separate quotations from the Old Testament strung together in five straight verses. Peter means for us to see what God is saying about us in light of what he said about Israel in the Old Testament. 
And of those five quotations, the most important one is the one in verse number nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's a quotation from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19, sorry, verses 4 through 6. Now, this is the main quotation. The other four in 1 Peter are all designed to show that these quotes, this quote, refers to us now and not just to Israel. This is the quote that Peter is drawing on. God says to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai when they gather together to meet with him, he says to them, now you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, and here's the phrase that Peter is picking up, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now in this passage from Exodus is contained God's plan for rescuing the world. If you remember at the beginning of the sermon, what we said is the world doesn't need a judge. What the world needs is a doctor. Now imagine that you were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And as your doctor breaks the news to you, he also says to you, but I've got hope for you. And the hope is there's a new clinical trial that I think you should be part of. And he explains to you that as part of this clinical trial, you're going to be taking an experimental drug, which the doctor believes is, has a great chance of saving you. And as part of the clinical trial, you're going to be with others who will also be taking this drug in the hopes that it will rescue you, it will save you. Now, the reason why your doctor is encouraging you to participate in the clinical trials, number one, he thinks it's going to save your life. And that's what he wants to do. But number two, he's hoping that the clinical trial is successful so that it will save other people who also have the same form of cancer. That's really what Exodus 19 is talking about, and that's really, in many ways, what the nation of Israel is. The nation of Israel was God's clinical trial, that the whole world was suffering under the disease of sin, and God said, I'm going to pull a group out and give them the medicine that will cure them. Not simply because God is only interested in Israel, but because by giving them the medicine that would cure them, God could demonstrate to the rest of the world that the medicine is effective. And the hope would be is that the whole world would see this salvation that came from God to Israel and be drawn to God. Now, what was the medicine that God gave to Israel to save them? Very simply, it was this, God's presence in their midst. God is the God of life, and when God is with you, you have life. If you have God, you have life. If you do not have God, you do not have life. God is the source of all life, that if God is present in our midst, 
that in Israel where there was sickness, God would bring healing. That where there was hunger, God would bring an abundance of food. Where there was discouragement, God would bring a word of joy. Where there was death, God would bring life. God saying, I'm the medicine for the problem that's ailing the world. And in order to demonstrate that, I'm going to pull Israel out as a distinct people and be present with them, rescuing them and saving them, not simply because God's only interested in Israel, but because he wants to, through Israel, show the whole world this is how you experience salvation. Now, how was God's presence manifested in Israel? Well, the book of Exodus tells us that there are three things that made his presence with Israel possible. The first is the Mosaic law. I told you this is part one of a two-part sermon. We're going to talk about that piece next week. Number two is the tabernacle. If you go back to Exodus 19, you don't need to turn there now, but if you go back and look, the first set of chapters after Exodus 19 are about the law. The next set of chapters are about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was God's tent in which he dwelt with the Israelites. Exodus chapter 25 tells us the purpose of the tabernacle. God says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I gave you. The purpose of the tabernacle was this was so God could dwell in the midst of the nation of Israel. The third thing that was necessary was the law, the tabernacle, and then in Exodus, God describes the creation of the priesthood. The priesthood, which was a group of people, which according to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, at that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Israel to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name as they still do today. This was God's plan for Israel is, is that God would be present in their midst bringing them healing and salvation, dwelling amongst them in a tabernacle and creating a people who were priests. And the priest's job was to come into the tabernacle to experience God's blessings, to go out into the nation of Israel and pronounce God's blessings so that Israel could go to the whole world and pronounce God's blessings. This was the means by which God was going to bring salvation to the whole world. This is his plan to rescue the world. But the rest of 1 Peter tells us that many in Israel did not follow the doctor's orders. Many in Israel did not participate in this clinical trial the way that God had laid it out for it to be participated in. So Peter's point is, is God's plan has not changed. All that's changed about it is now through Jesus, you and I, who are not ethnically part of the nation of Israel, are now able to be included in that clinical trial. That God is still trying to set apart for himself a people who are experiencing salvation, not just for our own benefit, but so that we might be the rescue for the entire world. That's why Peter says in verse five, you also, Calvary Church, 
are being built into a spiritual house. That's the term for the tabernacle. We are becoming the tabernacle, whereas in ancient Israel it was an actual literal tent. It was a tent that the Ark of the Covenant was in in which if you wanted to go and meet with God, you went to that tent. What Peter is saying is God is still doing that thing. It's just that he's doing it here, that he's doing it with you and I, not this building, but us as a people, that we are being built into a tabernacle in which God dwells. The result of which is that we become a holy priesthood. That not only are we this place in which God dwells by his spirit as the church, but we are becoming a holy priesthood, meaning that as we come and experience God's presence in this place, we are then filled with the blessings of God to go out into the world and proclaim and pronounce blessings to others. How this works is if you've gone through a difficult life situation, if you've lost a loved one, if you've been through a divorce, if you've experienced a financial ruin, if you've committed some sort of horrific sin, if you've had some sort of horrific sin committed against you, if you simply are experiencing discouragement at the meaninglessness of life, The point is you are supposed to come and participate here in this church and receive from God blessings to come and be in God's presence and realize that God loves you, that God wants to bless you and not to curse you, to come here and have something happen in which God speaks to your heart through the sermon, through a word of encouragement, through a phrase and a song, through somebody who says hello to you, all of a sudden in the midst of this place, this spiritual house, You're reminded that God loves you, that God's not forgotten about you, that God has not rejected you because of your sin, that God has not rejected you because of what's been done to you. You come here to this place and you experience God's blessing and grace. And as a result, you and I go out from this place as priests priests who are now equipped to give God's blessings to the rest of the world. Peter's saying this was God's plan from the beginning. It's still going on today. It's just that it's happening in and through the local church. There are some implications of this truth that I want to share with you then this morning. Five of them, in fact. From Peter's theology. That's important for us to understand today. Number one, our job as a church is to let God do this. Notice there's nothing in this passage that gives us anything to do. There are no commands, build yourself into a spiritual house. There are no commands in here to make us, make ourselves into a tabernacle or into a priesthood. This simply says God is doing this work. That means our job as a church is to let him, to not get in his way. This is what God is going to make happen. That's why our mission statement at Calvary Church, you know, every organization got to have a mission statement. Our mission statement at Calvary Church to be Christ's church in this place. It's not our job to go out and do anything. 
Our job is to let God do what He wants to do here. This is why it's important to realize that this is not my church, this is not your church, this is God's church, and He is transforming Calvary Church into His spiritual house, the place in which He dwells. And our job is to simply let Him do it. Stop trying to turn this thing into what we want it to be. Stop trying to make this into something that meets our needs and does what we want, and let Him do here what He's planning on doing. Implication number two. We are here to become priests. We're not here simply to enjoy God's presence for ourselves. We are here to be transformed into agents of grace to take God's presence to the world. The role of the priest was not simply to hang out in the tabernacle all the time. The role of the priest was to be in the tabernacle so that we might experience God's blessings so we can go out into the world and pronounce the blessings of God. The reason why uh, the medical world has clinical trials is not because the medical world's only interested in saving a couple of people. And if you've been through a successful clinical trial and this experimental drug has cured your cancer... What kind of terrible person would we be if we didn't tell anybody about it? God has said, look, I have created Calvary Church because this is a place in which I want to dwell. So come and enjoy my presence, but then go out into the world and exude grace. Go out and be a people of grace. Go out and pronounce God's blessings to this world. That's what we saw last week. That's what Jesus was doing. He was going out and proclaiming to sinners that God is a God of mercy. This is where we learn that. This is where we experience that, that you're here this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've been from God, you're here and God's chosen to meet with you. Now when you go out, you can share that God is a God of all grace. And the purpose of what God's doing here is we don't just get to go, good thing I got to be part of the clinical trial. I have salvation. I'm okay. The point is, no, God is doing this because he wants us to be priests, to go out into his world and to share his grace with the whole world. Number three, the implication of the theology that God is giving us this morning is that the church is God's plan for rescuing the world. We're the plan. It's not better schools. It's not better governments. It's not better laws. It's not better businesses. It's us. When God wanted to save the whole world, he created a house in which he could dwell amongst the people. That's what the church is. We are outposts of heaven. We are a collection of people who are cured of the death of cancer. We are here together because God says, this is how I'm going to rescue the world. He's not trying to simply build better schools and houses and churches and families. Uh, He is trying to build better churches. Not trying to build better governments. He's trying to build a better church. And that when we are what God designed us to be, the world will be rescued. That when we're simply a spiritual house in which God dwells by his presence, we will be transformed into priests of grace. This is the plan. God's very clear about it. This is the plan he's been doing since the beginning. 
to call a people out, to be his special possession, so that he might dwell in our midst, so that we might be transformed, so that we can go into all of the world as agents of grace. The church is not an afterthought. It's not like God said, well, I got to give them something to do until they come to heaven. This is the plan. There isn't another. It's us. Number four, the implication of this theology. Fourthly, you and I cannot become priests of God without the church. You and I cannot become priests of God without the church. Look what he says in verse 5. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You and I cannot get to be priests of God without the tabernacle. We can't get to the place in which we can exude God's grace without this place where we are charged up with God's grace. This is why churches who want to cancel their Sunday morning worship services so they can spend all their time in the community serving are missing the point. This is why churches that get rid of truth and worship because they want to be able to be entertaining or they want to be able to attract non-Christians are missing the point. We come here in order to be in God's presence so that we can go out and share God with the world. This is where we get charged up. It's like Moses going up the mountain. When he comes down after meeting with God, his face is glowing. That's the communication that God exists. That's the, the message that God is alive. Without that recharge, our batteries run out. We've got nothing to offer. Those who skip church cannot be the priests of God. Those who hop from church to church are taking God's plan and throwing it in the trash. This is how God wants to save the world. He said, I will make you into a tabernacle in which I dwell and you will come and meet with me and go out and testify that I'm alive. I mean, after all, what are we doing when we go into the world? We're telling them that Jesus is Lord. How do we know that? Because we've got a set of beliefs? Because somebody proved it to us? How do we know that? We know that because we met with him and he's here and he's alive and he spoke to us and he offered us grace and encouragement and then we go out in the world and we tell our friends, you know what, I just went through this horrific event this week and then I showed up in the middle of God's assembly and he was there. Jesus is not dead in a tomb. How do I know that? Because he's here this morning. And if you stop meeting with him, if you stop interacting with him, what are we going to share with anybody? A story of something happened to us when we were five years old? No, what we're going to share with him is this week I met with Jesus. It's not that Jesus was alive, it's that Jesus is alive. You and I cannot become priests of God apart from what God is doing here at Calvary Church, what he's doing at Resurrection Life, what he's doing at New City, what he's doing at Crossroads, what he's doing at Seventh Reform. God has planted these places in our city and in our world to transform us into being priests. And you can't become a priest without it. It's the plan. And then the fifth and final implication of this truth. If you come to this assembly, and again, I don't mean the walls, I mean us. If you come to participate in this place to meet with God, 
you'll find him here. If you're looking for God, this is where he is. He's out there too. But here, when we gather together, when we sing praises to his name, when we pray, when we practice the grace of giving, when the gospel of grace is proclaimed, when we celebrate the ceremonies of grace, when we receive forgiveness for our sins in this place, God is present. And if you feel like God has abandoned you, if you feel like God has left you, if you feel like you don't know God, if you come here seeking God, you will find him. God is not a God who is far off. He's a God who's near to us. And God has said, I have given you a spiritual house in which you can come and meet with me whenever you want. Whenever you need, whenever you need that encouragement, you can come and be in my midst on a Sunday morning, in a small group, in a friend from church, in a Bible study that you're participating in. God says, I want to meet with you. God's goal is not to curse us, but to bless us. And he blesses us through his presence. And God's very clear. If you want to meet with me, this is where you can find me. This is how you can have access. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away from God you may have felt. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. The solution for your problem and for my problem is the presence of God. And God says, here I am. Come and meet.